Hey, all, we need your help. We're hoping to raise $10,000 over the next few months to help cover the costs of a few current and upcoming projects. These include, but are not limited to, a complete redesign of our logo and design work for merchandise with our soon-to-be-announced store. Your donations will also be tax-deductible as we've just turned in the paperwork towards becoming an official nonprofit. Any amount is immensely helpful and we'll personally email each donor a thank you. Absolutely everything we do on this show is to make sure the gospel is heard throughout the world and the barrier of entry into confessional reform theology is as low as possible. So go to our show notes and click the link that says donor box at the top of the page and donate. Now on with the show. I was just going to say, I don't think they're bragging enough. So I'm just going <laughs> to no, brag please for brag a second. More, yeah. this, is, this is the thing. It is so hard to find people to do a survey. And right. this, the first survey, the one that had 20,000 people, we have like 130 questions on the short form of Holy that survey. Wow. And we <laughs> they were not fun questions. No, they were like, have you ever experienced sexual pain? And like, it was things like, how Dang, often yeah. do you reach orgasm? They were like, they were really personal questions. And yeah. we had like, 20,000 women fill this thing out. That's insane, yeah. And not only that, like, we had over like we had over half of those people who didn't even know who we were. Like, they didn't find it from (laughs) us. Welcome to the Guilt, Grace, Gratitude podcast, a show devoted to bridging the gap to the historic Reformed Christian faith. Listen in as two friends, a layman Nick and a pastor Peter, discuss the newest and best books in the broader Christian tradition with some of the most respected seminary and college professors, pastors, theologians, authors, and more. We hope these book club episodes introduce solid theological works to those who want to read but don't know where to start or who to trust. You'll be introduced to authors you know and many others you don't from various theological traditions, but all under the broader tent of our shared creedal tradition. All of these authors and books help us to do the same thing. They remind us of how the finished work of Jesus Christ changes everything. Hello, everyone. Yet once again, it's another day of fresh grace and mercy. This is the Guilt, Grace, Gratitude podcast, sponsored by Logos Bible Software, where we bridge the gap to Reformed Christian theology for your listening pleasure. Today, we're doing a book club episode, and we actually have three guests on today. So it's a full house, a lot of cooks in the kitchen. So we're going to be talking about a new book from Baker publishers uh she deserves better raising girls to resist toxic teachings on sex self and speaking up so there's three authors that we have on today sheila ray gregoire rebecca gregoire lindenbach and joanna sawatsky and uh two of them as you can guess are what based on their names is a mother and a daughter so i'll let you guys guess which ones they are based on the names pretty clear there (laughs) Um, so if you guys go to our show notes, there's a link to Baker, please check out this book. And then also the previous, uh, book that, uh, we're going to be talking about, which is the great sex rescue as well. So grab, grab both of those books. And then, um, just also, if you're new to our show, 
uh, and you don't know much about us, there's just other helpful links and information on how to find us, our email address, our YouTube audience. So uh, if you could subscribe to us on YouTube, if you're not watching this on YouTube, you can uh, go there and watch these conversations as well. So uh, there's a lot to talk about, a lot of guests. And so I'll let uh, I'll let Peter jump in and introduce our three guests today. Yeah, it's my pleasure to introduce to our audience, if, if they don't know them already, a few of these guests. Uh, we've got, yeah, like Nick said, and I'm glad he said it first because I'm going to mess it up almost always. Sheila Gregoire. She's the face behind BearMarriage.com, a sought-after speaker, an award-winning author of nine books, including The sex Great, uh, the great Sex Rescue, and she deserves better. Uh, we have her daughter on, as well as psychology graduates, Sheila's daughter and the author of Why Didn't Rebel. And then the last author here as well, Joanna Swatsky, is an epidemiologist with a research focus on the in- intersection of religious religiosity and women's health issues. It's a pleasure having you all on the same show. We're going to figure out how to do this all at once. So thanks for coming on. Thanks for having us. Of course. Yeah, this will be uh, this will be fun. So we're going to start off with uh, kind of an easy question. And Sheila, I'm going to start with you. And if we want to go down from there. So tell our audience a little bit more about yourselves, um, as well as the work that comes from Bear Marriage. Sure. So I started blogging back in 2008. Uh, I was just kind of talking about housework, parenting, organizing. And then the more I talked about sex, the more my traffic grew. And so I kind of became this crazy sex space. (laughs) I know. And no one grows up thinking, you know what I want to do when I get older? I want to be a Christian sex lady. Like that's just kind of (laughs) weird. But that's what I became. And then to make it even weirder, um, when my daughter Rebecca graduated from psychology in university, she came to work with me. So we were like this mother-daughter duo talking about sex. And Joanna Swatsky, a friend of the family, was home with her kids and she started uh, working with me. And so I had this powerhouse team of psychology grad, uh, research grad, and um, an epidemiologist stats person working with me. And then everything changed when um, we started to read some problematic books in mm-hmm. evangelicalism. And we thought, you know, we're researchers at heart, so let's figure this out. And then we did the largest research project ever been done. 20,000 women for the great sex rescue mm-hmm. and 7,000 for she deserves better. Yeah. And I couldn't done it without them. So <laughs> that's, that's right. A funny little fact, just for those who, I mean, you didn't hear us pre-recording, but you actually broke survey monkey on yep. your survey. Talk a little bit about how, how fun that was. The, how, how'd you break survey monkey? So we had so many different collectors. So people could lots of links so that we could track where people were coming to the survey from. And then we also had a very, very large sample uh, of, of people who actually filled out the survey. And so those two things together, then uh, I could no longer access like the basic updates on how our survey was doing on the dashboard. And mm-hmm. then we actually had to go to SurveyMonkey and say, please, can we have <laughs> our data? Because we couldn't download it. It kept giving us errors. So they actually had to go into their servers, manually download it, send it to us. Uh, and, and then when we went to, to do another survey, a bunch of rules had changed. So yeah. we're not sure that it was us. Um, Just coincidentally, rules changed. Yeah, mm-hmm. but you can no you can no longer do unlimited questions and unlimited uh, responses. So you can no longer <laughs> no, yeah, can't do it out. anymore. Yeah. For all you guys who try to use Survey Monkey from now on, you guys can blame Bear Marriage for for all this yeah. stuff. For the seven seventy five, I think that was a, a limit of seven thousand five hundred <laughs> yeah. people before you, you, you have to start out the wazoo. Yes. Yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> gotcha. Okay. The, so sorry, Rebecca, we haven't gotten to you. So tell us a little bit about yourself and then we'll get to uh, Joanna after that. Sure. Well, um, uh, when it comes to the research side of things, uh, I mean, first of all, well, first of all, I think I need to address the elephant in the room, which is my mom says, you know, no one grows up being being like, I want to be a Christian sex lady. Even fewer people say, I want to be a Christian sex lady with my mom. So we need to get that out of that's, the way. That's like, that, that probably sent True. shivers down the spines of a lot yeah. of girls like, listening to this episode. We right know now. it's weird. Okay, guys. But this, yeah. I, w- I will say, this is why we do this research based. Right. Because we're all yep. friends and family. We're we're doing this together. And so we we really approach this from a, a really research heavy standpoint because yeah. there is no universe in which I want this to be my personal experience. There is zero <laughs> universe. Like yeah. I don't yeah, right. we don't want to know nothing. Uh, so part of the research branch that we do is we obviously do these amazing surveys. And like Mum said, that was the largest uh study that's ever been done studying specifically evangelical beliefs impact on women's marital and sexual satisfaction yeah um largest study ever been done we can't find anything else that's, that's bigger <laughs> that's, or even that's comparable. crazy that that's never been done before it's it's yeah. it's as if they don't no. talk about it Kudos it's, it's as if yeah. yeah um but another branch of the research that we did was qualitative research which means focus groups interviews and um mining the data from those uh from those more uh, semi-structured interview settings and i was in charge of that branch of the research so we did these huge surveys which joanna is our absolute just master of our surveys joanna gotcha. does all that quantitative stuff and then um we'd get this really cool result and so then we would do focus groups to then kind of tease out what could the mm-hmm. connections actually be and that's typically how you do it in research and so it was kind of fun that we got to do the multiple branches all all together for these surveys so you're not just getting numbers you're getting stories behind the numbers yeah yeah, yeah. no that's cool so joanna it sounds like you're the you're the survey person of the group tell us a little bit more yep. about yourself in that too yeah so um I started out in microbiology, ended up mm. in public health and epidemiology, and then um, had a baby right after finishing mm. my master's degree, had to get rescued by Sheila from the hospital. My husband was taking the bar exam oh. and I had had a postpartum hemorrhage and oh, needed geez. help. And so I texted mm. Sheila like, I'm so sorry. I thought I was going to Toronto with my husband, but instead I need help. Could you come get me? And she was like, I'm there right now. Yeah. And <laughs> literally we do all of this because I had a postpartum hemorrhage. Um, <laughs> so she rescued me from the hospital. My baby slept in a drawer in her house. And uh, a few weeks later, she offered me a job and here we are. Oh, yep. cool. Mm-hmm. That's cool. So all you people out there listening, if you want a job with Sheila, then you <laughs> probably have to have a hemorrhage in a hospital and then call yeah. her. And she's like, you got a job. <laughs> I love Solid it. strategy. Can't there go wrong. Go. Yeah, that's cool. So I'll kick things off as far as getting into talking about the book. Uh, and actually, we're going to talk about the other book, too, uh, before. But uh, so two related questions. I don't know who to ask first. So you guys are close. You guys are friends and related. Yeah. So you guys can figure it out. I'll Rock throw it out there and see yeah. who goes. Um so talking about the She Deserves Better book, um, where did the idea of the book come from? And my also, this might be kind of obvious, but it's worth asking, who is she when you're saying in the title of the book, She Deserves Better? Who is she and what does she, what is it that she needs to be um, deserve better? You know, what is it, mm-hmm. the topic based on that, the, the goal? And then also, what is this? Uh, what is the relationship of this book with the previous book, The Great Sex Rescue? 
Okay, well, let me take the first part of that. Yeah. Um, with the Great Sex Rescue, what we did was we found out that there are certain key teachings in evangelicalism that really ended up hurting women's marital and sexual satisfaction. And so we tried to say, okay, this stuff is toxic. Let's get back to what's healthy. Let's get back to what's actually biblical and what looks like Jesus. And we've had so many people read that book. Like if you just go on Amazon, just read the reviews and you'll see. Mm -hmm. And over and over again, what we heard was, okay, I feel validated. I feel free. I feel amazing but I have absolutely no idea what to say to my kids now because I grew up with all this toxic stuff. I don't want to pass it on, but I also don't want to tell my 14 year old, go do whatever you want. Right? <laughs> yeah, so so yeah. what do we do? And that's what she deserves better is, is we surveyed uh, 7,000 women about their experiences as teenagers in church, their experiences with sex ed and with puberty um, and with dating rules. And then we were able to look long-term and say, how did that affect adult women later so that we can get this right? And that's, that's what we're trying to do. Mm-hmm. Becca, do you want to, do you want to say who she is? Yeah. <laughs> She's like, that's we- me. <laughs> yes. So, so the, the diff, so the great sex rescue, we really see just like mom said, as the intervention, right? So these are people who have already, they're married or they've grown up already. They've heard the stuff and we're, we're helping them rescue something that's already been damaged. Mm-hmm. But a lot of those people we're looking at the, the next generation of young women. We're looking at the kids who are just growing up now who haven't had a chance to maybe hear these toxic things yet, or who are maybe being exposed to them, but they haven't, it hasn't really sunk into their brains yet. Or maybe they've started to hear it. They started to believe it and we can get them on back onto a healthier path before it ends up being a long-term, before it ends up being a long-term problem. The she in this book is really about the girls in the church who have so often been told that you come second simply because you are female. You come second in terms of your safety in terms of you know how much you matter in terms of your right to be heard um and and we go into where girls are hearing this because a lot oh, yeah. of people a lot of people say well i didn't hear that growing up it's like okay that's fine that doesn't mean that we should close our eyes about what other girls are hearing right <laughs> and so yeah one of the other important things though is we have heard from so many women who grew up in the church or even just adjacent to purity culture who have read this book and seen their high school experience and realized I'm not alone. I'm not alone that I didn't understand that my worth was about more than what I could offer with my body or my worth was in how much I managed to keep my body away from others. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm. You know, they didn't, they, they were told for so often that, well, you know, you're too much. You're too loud. Mm -hmm. You're, too opinionated you need to pipe down Mm -hmm. and they're realizing i deserve to have a voice and i deserve to be appreciated for the giftings that i've been given by god so the the she is really about the girls who have been told to be small and how we can have the next generation of girls just grow up knowing that they're allowed to be big if that's who god made them to be Mm -hmm. awesome yeah, so we'll we'll get into some of this stuff as people are probably wondering, well, what toxic teachings are you talking about? We'll we'll get mm-hmm. into the we'll get into the teachings. Um first I wanna you you've talked about the some of the surveys, we'll get into some of the details of the surveys, but I think it's also helpful to talk about some of your experiences. Um, because two of you were reared as as I was, and my my wife was and my sister was uh at the heights of the purity culture movement, the the nineties and two thousands, and one of you parented during this time. Um, so maybe if you want to talk about how your personal experiences 
as well as your parenting experiences helped inform this book? Okay, well, let me start. So I was a teenager in the 80s. I lived in downtown Toronto. I went to an evangelical Presbyterian church and we were focused on missions. We spent our whole time talking about how to reach your school for Christ, how to give your testimony, um, how to stand up for Jesus. We prayed through the 1040 missions window. That was a yep. huge thing yep. um, when I was a teenager. And did we talk about sex? Well, sure, but it wasn't the main focus. And so when my kids grew up, I had two daughters, Rebecca's the oldest, and we sent them to youth group. I was assuming youth group was the same as what mm. I went to. And it wasn't. Things had radically changed. Yeah. yeah. Don't I know it. Yep. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So I was sent to those youth groups. Yeah. <laughs> uh- <laughs> As was I. Yeah. Totally. Yes. And I think, well, my, first of all, for any of my girls who grew up in purity culture, both Joanna and I were full Brio girlies. Uh, we read Focus on the Family's Brio magazine. Any- Only reason I know that is, is my wife. She has told me about say- that. Only reason All why the, I know that the the purity culture girls we understand okay the the grip that uh, this stuff had on us and so much of that particular magazine was about making sure that you stayed pure right and we got no problem with being like hey we should live a pure lifestyle that's yeah. not a problem totally. that's just we should we that's a biblical uh, yeah absolutely that's a biblical principle the problem was that this took this to like the nth degree and made it your identity. So it wasn't just, hey, we are going to live a chaste lifestyle as Christians in a way to honor God. It was, if you're not a virgin, you have stolen from your future husband. God is disappointed in you. You have lost your most precious gift and nothing will ever make you whole again. That's the message that we really got. Okay. I remember we, there's there's this one article that uh, um, that we read in Brio magazine. Both Joanne and I remembered this one that... Um, from our Brio reading days when I was like 12 and you would have been a couple of years older than me about this girl who has like a pearl necklace. And oh, yeah. <laughs> it's the story about how she has this lovely pure pearl necklace. It's given to her from her father. And along the way, she gives one bead to this boy and it signifies like kissing or holding hands. And she gives one bead to this boy. And then eventually all that's left is one bead that she gives away and has nothing left to give to her husband. And of course, signifying virginity. Exactly. Yep. And yep. sex. And it's and and what it ended up doing was it taught girls that your entire worth and value is in your virginity and whether or not you have had sex and how close to sex you've gotten and how far from sex you've managed to stay and whether or not you cause people to be tempted. And, and, and our whole faith and our whole identity was so warped around this idea that our most important thing in the world is to simultaneously not have sex, but then someday have better sex than anyone else in the entire universe because of how little sex we've had. Mm-hmm. And also, if we make anyone think about having sex, we've sinned, but everyone's always thinking about having sex. And so there's nothing you can do about that. But if you make it happen, that's a problem. And it was this really tricky, awkward situation that girls grew up in. And both Joanna and I grew up in this. Yeah. Um, and, and, it, and it's something that um, when we looked back and we were trying to figure out what to talk about in this book and we were reading these these resources written to teen girls, what we just remembered so strongly 
was so much emphasis about sex when it comes to following God and mm-hmm. so little emphasis on other things such mm-hmm. as, you know, greed even mm-hmm. and, you know, serving others or just being a decent person to people you disagree with. Um, and so much of it was about just virtue signaling about, well, I haven't had sex yet, so I'm a better Christian than you. Yeah. yeah it's a lot of pressure. Yeah. yeah. And it was, we'll talk about it later. It was, there was one, I mean, kind of one overarching thing expected of women and then one overarching thing expected of men. And there are two different things for following Jesus. And you're like, wait a second. I'm not sure yeah. this is, this follows. Yeah. Yeah. That is, it's, it sounds that obviously that's a lot of pressure. And I mean, oh, yeah. we're, <laughs> Peter and I are both obviously male, so we don't understand your perspective yeah, for males, on certain was, We'll talk about it. Males, it was like but, leadership. It was risky. Yeah. It was like doing the best you can. And you're like, you're told to be this kind of um, like Spartan almost like this warrior. <laughs> and it was very different from what the messaging the woman got. Um, even Well, even a lot of times thing. the girls were in essence told the boys have big things to do. So make sure your body doesn't get in the way. Yeah. 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 I remember I, I was I telling you guys in the, before we started recording that I went to a reformed Presbyterian uh, homeschooling co-op mm. in high school, had got a really good education, had a very positive experience. But I remember one day in class, my uh, teacher who theology teacher I really liked um, started talking about what the boys in the class were going to have to do to be Christian godly men. Yep. Like, what was this going to look like? And he painted this really impressive picture of Mandan. And I'm sitting there going, I wonder what I get. What, yeah, what do like, I get to that do? That sounds pretty good. What do I get? Yeah. So I started, you know, being, I was a truly obnoxious teenager. So I started pushing this teacher. I'm like, what do we get? What, what do the girls get? Hi, it's me. What do we get? Hi. Um, and his response was, uh, my wife could tell you better, but cover up. Yeah. And I just remember feeling so let down that that was the vision for what I could be as a woman. Show less of yourself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 It's, it's, yeah. It's devaluing, um, um, so yeah, guys get out there. Women kind of stay back and stay hidden. Yeah. Cause you're a liability. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I'll actually, I'll start with Joanna on this, on this question. Cause, uh, when we talk about both books, actually it's lots of surveys, a lot of research, a lot of data going into it. And people love that stuff. I think, I mean, for me personally speaking, I, it just, it gives a little bit more confidence that, just what you're saying has backed up evidence and mm-hmm. you guys have done a ton of homework. It's not just somebody's subjective opinion. It's, Hey, we, we put, these are, you're reflecting the answers of a lot of women out there. It's not just you three writing it. It's a lot of women. It's actually 27,000 women responses <laughs> between both books. Right. So this book um, obviously includes a lot of, of those studies, a lot of infographics, questions, pie charts, all those kind of things. Uh, along with personal experiences, there's also um, obviously the massive study of and scores of statistics underlying the information in this book and actually uh, The Great Sex Rescue as well. Can you tell us a little bit more about the studies, how you conducted them? I think, Rebecca, you mentioned that uh, these studies went out, but uh, the audience might be wondering, like, who are they? Like, how did they find out the study to fill out? Are they mm-hmm. just Christian women or is it just... Uh, how, yeah, how who did makes they, it up? What were the questions yeah. asked? Like, what was the point of it? Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so for the that. first for the first survey, we did um, 
a combination of sampling methods. So partly we shared links, um, but then we also used what's called snowball sampling. So that's where you get people to fill out the survey to help you find more people to fill out the survey. Hmm. Um, and then additionally, Sheila obviously sent out the link on her Twitter and uh, mm-hmm. Facebook page and on the blog and to her email list. But then additionally, especially for the survey that we did for Great Sex Rescue, we asked other evangelical authors to share the link, and many of them did. We um, had uh, the recruiter program, which I talked about, which was a snowball sampling. Sorry, I I usually do that in a different order. Um, <laughs> and so under half of the people who filled out the survey actually came from Sheila's links. Oh, wow. So yeah, it was from a wide variety of sources and about 60% of them identified as evangelical. Okay. All of the women who I included in the analyses in the books are Christians uh, currently because okay. we felt that that was an important, uh, yeah. th- that's what we're looking at the impact of Christian teachings on Christian women currently. Um, and so while it would be very interesting at some point to possibly look at women who have uh, moved away from Deconstructed uh, being, some sort. Yeah. Yeah. Who, who have stopped uh, being confessing Christians. That, that may be interesting. We just, we also don't have that many people uh, who fit that demographic in, in the data set. Uh, we have posted the Christian and American subset of the data set, which is, uh, I believe, about 14,000 respondents, is on the Association for Religion Data Archives, hmm. which is a very large data hmm. archive. And we're very honored to have been asked to put our data data set up there that makes it freely available for any researcher who would like to look at it additionally if you're listening and you're like "Hmm, i want to know about something else about the survey that joanna's talking about you can actually go onto the artist website search it's it's the sexual satisfaction and function survey ssfx or sfx ss i'm sorry i'm (laughs) not remembering my own acronyms Um, but it's available on their website. If you search alphabetically and look for sex, it, that's the only yeah, we'll one. Put a, we'll put a link up. to it in the show notes. Yeah, so people don't that get sounds confused. great. Yeah. And uh, I think you can it, actually look at it and play with it. If you want to just look at the, oh, the, the basic, okay. uh, you know, how, what percentage of people answered each thing is, is all available on the that's website. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. And we had people from, we had, we had basically all denominations, you know, okay. we had Catholic to IFB to everything in between. <laughs> okay. yeah. um, and we had, and, and the big thing that I want people to know is we did odds, something called odds ratios, which is where we're comparing the chance of something happening if people believe something versus if they didn't believe it. So let's take modesty messages. If teenagers believed that they were at least partially responsible for a guy sinning, um, what does this do to their self-esteem long-term? And so we had to have people who believed it and people who didn't to compare it to. So we had a wide range of beliefs or else we couldn't have done it. It's not like everybody believed like Mm. us. We had a very wide range of beliefs. Hmm. That's cool. Yeah, Yeah. so- Sorry, Rebecca, were you going to say something? I was just going to say, I don't think they're bragging enough. So I'm just going <laughs> to no, brag please for brag a second. More, yeah. this, is, this is the thing. It is so hard to find people to do a survey. And right. this, the first survey, the one that had 20,000 people, we have like 130 questions on the short form of Holy that survey. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. And, we and they were not fun questions. No, they were like, have you ever experienced sexual pain? And like, it was things like, how often do you reach orgasm? They were like, they were really personal questions. And we had like 20,000 women fill this thing out. And not only that, like we had 
over like we had over half of those people who didn't even know who we were like they didn't find it from us they're like Like, sure i'll say this yeah i'll I'll answer all these questions whenever we have someone who's in research who does like you know surveys and getting people hear about our results they're like oh so you had like a three question like polls like nope and then we tell them what it was and they're like what (laughs) you got that many but i think i think what it shows is that women just they want to they they want we want people to know what we've gone through because there's been there's been a lot of pain in the evangelical church in this area they're like finally somebody's asking these questions that i can Mm -hmm. i can answer and give some give some honest feedback yeah. yeah, exactly. And and I think what, what we did, I just want to make this clear for people so that it's it's because it's just so dang interesting. We yeah. asked people three things. Okay. First, we asked them about their marital satisfaction. So how how was your marriage? We asked a bunch of different questions to assess yeah. that. Then we asked about sexual satisfaction. So figured out how's your sex life. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then we asked, what do you believe? We didn't ask, hmm. like, you know, do you think this helped or harmed you? We didn't ask uh, anything like that. We didn't yeah. ask about Leading specific questions. books. We didn't do anything like that. It was literally just um, like, for example, a wife is obligated to give her husband sex when he wants it. Strongly agree to strongly disagree. Yeah. And we had it two time points. We had it before marriage and after and like after marriage. So either depending on the teaching, it was either in high school for things that you would have heard in high school or during premarital for things Mm. that are typically said, like in like the engagement phase. Yeah. And then we had, what about today? So we have people who used to believe, for example, a woman is obligated to give her husband sex when he wants it, but they don't believe it anymore. And we can see how that affects people versus people who still believe it. And mm. it was it was just so interesting. And so not only did we have like 130 questions, we also had multiple different things we could run with each of those questions. So we've been working with this data set. Joanna has been running numbers since uh, like the very beginning of 2020. And we still are finding new things to run almost mm-hmm. like, yeah, three and a half years later. Mm-hmm. And it's, yeah, I, I just, we're quite proud of this. And uh, that is, it's, yeah, that is, and so I, I listened to um, a politics podcast, 538. <gasps> and I, I'm I all about that. it. Yeah, I'm all about it. And they run studies and polls and they have like, is this a good poll or a bad poll? And they're mm-hmm. always talking about like, oh, we got 500 responses for like two questions. Yeah. And the fact that you got 20,000 for 130 questions that yeah. probably took people like an hour or two to get through this stuff you just you just compared me to nate silver uh, I, I am not gonna recover from that for like a week. <laughs> that's that's the only thing i could like compare this to is this this podcast or this uh politics podcast that i listen well to. thank you i'm actually very flattered but no we we do very different work than they do i'm i'm in awe of nate's use of stata oh, yeah. uh, i am yep. not nearly as good as he is his models are absolutely incredible but yeah uh, but no, the, it's the modeling reminded me of some of the stuff that they do yeah, exactly. yeah, we're very honored to, and, and you know, I really do feel honored to have the data set to get to work with because uh, every data point is a woman's story. And, and we haven't been able at this point to look at the open-ended responses that we mm. have to the survey, but we have mm. a lot of them. And women wrote just tragic and beautiful stories in there. Yep. They shared their hearts with us. And so we feel very grateful to have been entrusted with um, so many stories. That's so, awesome. Yeah. You guys obviously struck a chord. Oh, with yeah, the, big time. Uh, when this book first out came there. out, it was like top 100 in Amazon or top 200. I forget what it was, but it, I mean, it it uh, it exploded when it got out it there. Did. Yeah. Well, based on the survey, uh, you guys struck a chord because like you're saying, that's impressive with people that, is, that understand that surveys that go out that women want to be heard. And finally, someone's asking these questions and they are willing to be like, all right, 
I'm sitting down and I'm filling this yeah. out because <laughs> yeah. I want my voice out there. I yeah. want. Yeah. Because you know, it's so. been stifled for so long. Finally, somebody's asking for their voice. Yeah. So yeah. Good job. Yeah. Cool. So that, that leads me, I think, to this, to this next question. Well, we've already kind of approached this and we're not saying, and I think what you're not, in most cases, churches aren't like trying to hurt women. I think a lot of them, it's like, they mean really well, but they're not really sure what they're doing, what they're saying. Mm-hmm. And they're, they, they're not, <clears throat> they don't realize that some of the stuff that they're saying has an adverse effect on the people that they're talking to. And I've already talked about this, a boy's faith tended. And I like, this is like, Wild at Heart from John Eldridge was like the gospel when I was in mm-hmm. high school and college. And reading that, you're like, I'm going to go out and kill everybody and evangelize everybody after reading that book. But a girl was like, that's her purity. It's like, that's that's what was kind of like uh, equalized. Um, instead of really, like, instead of instead of Jesus, it was like, okay, how pure are you? Not who's your faith upon and, and who do you trust? So what was it about this time period that just so focused on sexual purity, especially focused on women, a little less so on men. I think what happened is people forget how bad the eighties were. Okay. So I was a teenager in the eighties and in the eighties, there was way higher uh, teen pregnancy rates than today. Kids were having sex more. They were doing drugs more. They were drinking alcohol more. Like we think that things are always getting worse, but they were actually quite bad in the Mm eighties. And so school districts, governments thought we got to fix this. We don't Mm -hmm. want the teen pregnancy rate so high. So they brought in comprehensive sex ed churches freaked out. And when you combine that with the conservative resurgence that was going on in many different denominations, you just had this conglomeration of of forces that brought in purity culture in the late 90s and 2000s. And I think if you can encapsulate the difference with purity culture between boys and girls, I think it, it would say this, purity culture taught us that Jesus saves women so that women can save men, hmm. so that then men can go do the big things. Hmm. So men like boys boys freedom from sin rested on girls shoulders yeah and let me give you an example of that along with the data because the data kind of tells the story oh yeah so modesty messages let's talk modesty messages we we measured four different iterations of them um boys are visual in a way the girls will never understand a boy mm-hmm. can't help but lust if a girl is dressed like she's trying to incite it uh, girls should try, girls have a responsibility not to be a stumbling block to the boys around them by what they wear. And a girl who dress immodestly is worse than a girl who doesn't. So all four of them, terrible, terrible, terrible long-term outcomes. Um, but just to give you an example, if a girl believes that she is at least partly responsible for a boy lusting after her, she is 68% more likely to marry an abuser and she is 52% more likely to experience vaginismus or sexual pain. Mm-hmm. And evangelical women suffer from vaginismus at between two and two and a half times the rate of the general population. Goodness. This is largely our problem. We found an incidence rate of around 22.7%, which is huge. Yeah. And and for those of you who don't know, it means that the muscles of the vaginal wall contract or get really tight, which- Unfortunately, I do know what this means, yeah. Yeah, it can make penetration really difficult, if not impossible. So if you have vaginismus, please see a pelvic floor physiotherapist. Mm-hmm. Please read The Great Sex Rescue, and she deserves better. You know, there yeah. there is help. But this is what the modesty message did. Is it told girls, you, your body is dangerous, mm-hmm. and your body puts you in danger. So your body is dangerous to the boys and men around you, 
And because of that, you are now in danger. And so many girls just weren't taught to recognize red flags. So they weren't taught that, hey, if a guy is watching porn, if a guy is checking out other women, that's actually not a good match. No, we were taught that's just what men are. That's how God made men. Their drive is so strong. So just kind of let them let them do what they want to do. As you probably know, we talk a lot about Westminster Seminary, California on here. I can't even begin to tell you the impact this institution has had on my faith, my family, and the ministry the Lord has entrusted me with. If you feel called to serve the church and want the most rigorous training for gospel ministry around, consider coming to Westminster Seminary, California, a confessionally reformed institution in sunny San Diego that offers master's degrees in biblical and theological studies, historical theology, and divinity. Westminster's approach to ministry education emphasizes a mastery of the original biblical languages, maintaining a small student-to-professor ratio, a laser focus on face-to-face education coupled with an understanding of the importance of having pastor scholars with decades of ministry experience train the next generation of servant leaders for the Church of Jesus Christ. If this interests you, and I hope it does, Call Westminster today at 888-480-8474 to talk to admissions counselor or visit www.wscal.edu. Again, call Westminster Seminary California today at 888-480-8474 or log on to www.wscal.edu, which will all be available in our show notes. Westminster Seminary, California, for Christ, his gospel, and his church. Or yeah, you, the you, worst part, based on the qualitative interviews, is what we heard over and over again. And this is this is really one of the, the core messages that she deserves better, is that our girls deserve better than to not understand the truth about coercion um or sexual assault because we heard from so many um people in our in our interviews stories from girls who had been taught stuff like if you wear immodest clothing guys brains just biologically are wired to start thinking and pursuing sex and it's and if you turned him on like at some point well they they hear things like uh what what uh shanti felden highlights in for young women only which is uh uh, if you don't want to start, it's, if you don't want to start, what is if it? You if you wanna... want to stop, it's safest to not even start. That's yeah. what it is. If you want to stop, as in, if you don't want to have sex, it's safest to not even start as in kissing. Yeah. And so there, we had all these girls who were now women when I talked to them who have stories from high school where they were making out with a boyfriend and he started going farther and she said, no, and then he'd stop. And then he'd start again and she'd say no. And he kept going back again and again and again, trying to push her boundaries down and trying to wear her down. And instead of realizing, hey, this girl's not respecting my no and just getting out of Dodge. Instead, these girls are thinking, I shouldn't have worn that skirt. Mm-hmm. This, this was my is fault my that fault. I did this. He's I a good myself. guy. Yeah. I'm the problem. This man who's actively trying to rape me is a good guy and wouldn't have done this if I didn't make him. And there's actually, there was one woman who actually, who we talked to, who felt immeasurable guilt about making a boy rape her Hmm. Hmm. because of what she was wearing and how she let him kiss her. 
Yeah. Because, you know, Shanti Feldon's book also said um, 82% of boys feel little ability or little responsibility to stop in a makeout situation. Yeah. And let's be totally clear here. 100% of boys have the ability to stop. Oh, yeah, you can stop. <laughs> yeah. 100% of boys have the responsibility to stop if she asks them to. And so this idea that boys can't help it, and not just they can't help it, but that God made them that way, that this is a good thing, um, means that women just never felt safe. Hmm. And can I just get back to what you were saying earlier, though? One yeah. of the big things I want to make sure people are clear about that we found in our research is that overall, religiosity is super protective. Oh, extremely. Yeah. Like being a Christian is super protective. This idea that there is a divine being out there who uniquely loves you and that you are not an accident and you have a purpose and a calling and there is a greater good out there that we can all work towards and strive towards and we can follow with our whole heart. That is ridiculously protective. Also, being in a church community where you're surrounded by like-minded peers, where your peers are less likely to be out, you know, doing drugs and drinking at 14 years old, you yeah. know, where like the 13-year-olds are more worried about whether or not they're on the praise band than whether or not they have like the coolest boyfriend, right? Like these are the kinds of things that are really protective for kids. And so our research didn't find that we should give up on God or even give up on church. Mm -hmm. What our research found is that there are some teachings where we just went super off the rails, right? We took those teachings about how uh, sexual purity is important. And what did we do? We said, well, we're scared that boys are going to look at girls. So let's just make sure that girls make sure boys don't look at them. And it's like, well, the, we, 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 we got, we just went, we took a hard left somewhere. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and this is what we're trying to call the church back to is let's, remember the truth of Christ and let's get rid of all that extra stuff that's tangled us up. Mm -hmm. Let's look at the data because we believe strongly that Jesus wasn't kidding when he said that we're supposed to test the fruit. Mm -hmm. uh, we're supposed to look at how things actually mm -hmm. impact people and say, does this show the fruit of the spirit or is this kind of some really rotten fruit? Personally, we think higher rates of marrying an abuser, higher rates of sexual assault and higher rates of vaginismus is pretty darn bad fruit. That's our personal opinion. I think that's, I don't think that's great. Uh, I don't yeah, think anyone you would think that's universal opinion, but it's not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't think anyone looks at their kids like, you know what I want for you with your life, sweetie? I want you to end up in a horrible relationship and I want you to be like horrifically traumatized. And I want you to feel like your body is causing you pain. No, no one wants that. So we're just saying there's all this evidence. We as parents, and both Joanna and I are parents of, of young girls at this point too. Hmm. All of us as parents, we have permission to introduce our daughters and our sons to Jesus Christ and to just kind of ditch all this stuff that could get in the way. Mm -hmm. And we have permission to trust that we don't need a ton of legalistic rules mm -hmm. to scare our kids into compliance but that we can just have conversations with them and offer them truth and that Jesus and the spirit is just as alive in our teenagers as they are in us as grownups. And, and so I, I, I do want to say like, we're talking about these toxic teachings, but there's so much hope and there's so much goodness um, hmm. in this book to find as well. And yeah, I hope parents can be encouraged too. Yeah, no, that's, that's really good. And that's, uh, that's again, another, um, something you talked about, especially the coercion, um, some of the submission, which is another thing which has been, I think, pounded on more recently, um, but it's been pounded on for for a while. It's uh, another blaring theme is 
um, how the upbringing of the girls of the church, and you've talked about this a little bit, so we want to dig into this, and the teaching focused on them, again, specifically girls, focused on submission, and it was to the to the point of, of silence, because, um, yeah, like your, your, your head is, is the husband, which, again, there's biblical basis, but to, to kind of broaden that further and to, to strengthen that, um, where like you have no voice, um, and you shouldn't talk, you, you, uh, yeah, you're, you're, uh, your, your sin, like you're going to cause anybody to sin if you do anything or say anything, what, what effect does this teaching on submission, um, have a woman both on their faith and their, and their future relationships? How, like, how does it bear out in their life when they're taught this and they say, yeah, you, um, just, just kind of wait it out. Mm-hmm. Um, can I tell you a funny one that we asked about that can get to this? Do it. Um, we were, we were looking at how to measure, you know, how women felt about themselves as being women. There's something called, um, internalized misogyny, which just basically means that as a woman, I think that I am less important than a man would be. And so there's a number of different questions that other surveys have used to get at this. And we found one that we thought would work really well. And it did. And so we asked, we asked women, did you believe that girls talk too much? Mm-hmm. Okay. And over half of women did, but have you been told, have you heard it said that, you know, women say 25,000 words a day and men only oh, say yeah. 12,000. Yeah. Um, James Dobson started that in his book, uh, love for a lifetime in 1983. And the purpose of, of that was to tell women, Hey, when he gets home from work, he's already said all of his words and you've hardly said any, but he's talked out. And so don't talk at him, you know, count, just let him be. And this was repeated. I think Gary, um, Gary Chapman said it too. Smalley. I think he used Smalley. He used 50,000 versus 25,000. Um, it was in Cosmo. It was all over the place. And researchers oh, yeah. I heard it. Yeah. This. yeah, researchers started to notice this and said, where are they getting this from? Because no one ever had a citation. And mm. so over the last 10 years, a bunch of universities have actually studied it. And you know what they found? Women and men, there is no statistical difference <laughs> yeah. in the number of words that we say a day. Yeah. Women do not talk too much. But all over Christian resources, we are told Girls, you talk too much. Yeah. In Brio Magazine, it kept telling women, hey, girls, you talk too much. Boys don't want you to talk. For young women only, told girls, girls talk too much. Boys don't like it when you talk. And so it was this constant thing of, hey, girls, you need to be quiet. Mm-hmm. And when women believe that, here, here's something funny that we may not think is related. But as if you believe in high school that girls talk too much and you still believe it today, you're more than two and a half times more likely to do the vast majority of the housework if you both work outside the home. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. So it's like, we don't think it relates, but it does because the idea that girls talk too much says, I am not as important. He's more important than me. And so if we're both working full time, all of the housework and childcare still is still is going to fall on me because yeah. he is more important. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Before think- my question. Oh, go ahead. No, you go ahead. I was going to say, reflecting on something you guys were saying earlier, it's it's uh, it's making me realize how much women, based on the purity culture, have been gaslighted. Uh, meaning that it's I don't know if that's the right word. I don't even know if you've written it in your books, but it's just my interpretation. I'm hearing that um, culture's blaming you guys for a lot of stuff that that would be the fault of a man. Yeah. 
we call it DARVA. We talk a lot about DARVA in the book, mm -hmm. which is a term that is used to describe how abusive people and systems respond to accusations that they're being abusive. Um, so this isn't necessarily deliberate. This is just what tends mm -hmm. to happen. And DARVA stands for deny, attack, and reverse victim and offender. So, um, do, Becca, do you want to give an example of a Darvo? Sure. Well, I mean, we talked about the modesty one, so why don't we just yeah. talk about modesty with, with mm -hmm. uh, Darvo? There you so go. when it comes to girls covering up, and also I I, I like using modesty because I feel like that's also applicable outside of like the Christian sphere mm -hmm. because yeah. it was such a thing in like the like the regular secular culture oh, as well. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. it really was. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, look at how many, uh, yeah, it, look at how many dress codes, uh, in schools and stuff, but yeah. you'd have, for instance, for the, 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 um, the deny. So, uh, well, he can't, he can't help it because he's a, he's a boy. He's just visual in a way you don't understand. So there's not a problem here. That's just how boys are. Then there's the attack where it's like, well, you're dressing like you're trying to incite it. Like you're obviously you're the one who's doing something wrong here, right? Like you're doing something bad. You're dressed like that seriously and you want to blame you don't him? expect it yeah. yeah and then there's a reverse victim defender which is you have become and i'm gonna quote brio magazine here ready <laughs> you are a walking temptation to be used by satan when you wear that tiny dress yeah i've heard that too in 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 youth messages before yeah walking we've heard walking temptation to be used by satan a noose around the spiritual life of a young man um, mm -hmm. all sorts of this kind of stuff. And that's reversing the victim and offender. So it's not just that you did something wrong. It's that now you have actually made the person who is mistreating you by leering at you, mm -hmm. by groping you, by making you feel uncomfortable. You've made that happen. And not only that, he's the victim here. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and this is, this really was an experience that a lot yeah. of girls had. Yeah. And probably the worst example of that was, um, that we found was in Dana Gresh's, uh, curriculum, Secret Keeper Girl. Uh, it's now rebranded True Girl, um, but she gave these seminars to, I think, about half a million girls all over North America. Um, very popular book. And in the book, which is aimed at girls 7 to 12. 8 to 12, yeah. 8 to, eight 12. to 12. Okay. She she asks them to do the raise and praise test to see if they're modest. So you're supposed to put your hands up in the air. And if any belly shows, that's bad. <laughs> I remember hearing this, yeah. Yeah, because bellies are intoxicating. Yep. And then she goes on to explain a conversation that moms are to have with their daughters about intoxicating, about how intoxicating means that men get out of control, like when mm. they're drunk. And God designed our bodies to intoxicate men, but they're only supposed to intoxicate your future husband. And so your job is to make sure you don't intoxicate any other man. Now, let's be clear what she's saying. She told eight-year-old girls... <laughs> That the sight of their belly could make an adult man out of control. Yeah. And half a million women heard this. Mm -hmm. Women and girls heard this. And this was considered acceptable. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and even now in the updated version, they still talk about your body's power to intoxicate. For yeah. again, mm -hmm. eight to 12 year olds. This is republished in what was it? 2021? Yeah. yeah. Like republished in the last, like since my three-year-old son has been alive kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it's still the idea of, of, of intoxicating bodies and how you can force someone to finish the lines of your body is, it's still present. That's still what they're teaching in 2021. <laughs> so we just, yeah, we just want moms to know there's, there's better out there. We want parents to know there's better out there. And that if you grew up in this or even just adjacent to this with like the Disney 
side of the whole purity culture right. thing all that stuff like you deserve better too because yeah there's such a better way than just fear tactics i've got a slight tangential question before for nicks and um this one's for joanna um based off some of the statistics that you saw was there and i know you've talked about this a little bit was there any difference between like what you can call like a conservative denomination versus a liberal denomination and how they approached some of these conversations or was there was there no difference at all so we dug into denomination in the first survey, but didn't find that it was super useful um, because it's just very complex. It was very hard to actually analyze yeah. um, for a variety of reasons. People are... switch denominations. Sure, sure. They... Yeah. Or they'd say, I didn't go to the Baptist church down the road. I went to the Presbyterian church. Yeah. Like, but 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 I was going to do a lookup function and I was going to look for the word Baptist. And oh, dear. Um, so I've done a little bit, not yeah. a ton. We have looked more at evangelicals versus non-evangelicals because mm. that's a much easier. Gotcha. Yes yeah. or no. Yeah. And and largely we found that evangelicals, because these are evangelical teachings, they believe evangelical teachings at a higher rate. Um I think the one thing that we did find, which is is either um nice for pastors to know or bad for pastors to know, depending <laughs> yeah. on how you look at it, yeah, is that the problem isn't always the church. Huh. The most women who internalize this stuff get it from outside influences they don't hear it necessarily from uh, sermons gotcha. now you certainly can hear it in youth group but even even in youth group you often don't hear it in your own church youth group you hear it when you go to acquire the fire or you hear it when you go to these massive youth rallies that's yeah. where you're or most you read the likely magazines to hear these or you messages. listen to music whatever it is yeah right and so the good news is it's not necessarily the pastors who are spreading this stuff the bad news is for pastors hmm. your congregation could mm -hmm. be internalizing this, even if you're in a relatively healthy mm. church, mm. which is why it's so important for pastors to, you know, to, to educate their congregation that not everyone who says they're Christian is saying something healthy. Mm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But what we did, we did look at recently, um, I'm actually, we're working on a paper on this topic that's going to go into a peer review journal. Yeah. Um, and what we found is that if the religiosity, as Rebecca was saying, super duper positive, going to church more, super awesome. Um, which is awesome and great and gives me motivation to get my butt to church, um, yeah. <laughs> which is good. Um, but we did also find that the benefits of church attendance can actually be abrogated or lost when toxic teachings are internalized. Huh. And so what we want is we want for our girls to be able to experience the benefits of the abundant life in Christ. And we don't want that to be stolen from them uh, by teachings that would make them be small. That's really helpful. That's yeah, that's 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 a helpful kind of takeaway. Yeah, for pastors. Yeah, even if it's not almost worse, but if you're not talking about it, they're gonna go look for somewhere else. Like you were saying, you're gonna go read the real magazines, they're gonna listen to whatever it is. And if it's not being talked about, if there's not resources at your church available, then you're just gonna kind of kind of believe whatever you hear outside of it because your church doesn't talk about it. Yeah. I also think one of the reasons why I personally was hesitant to do a lot of work um, looking specifically at denominations is I think that people, I, I want to be nice here, okay? But yeah. we we don't want people to get lazy and no. think, oh, well, I'm in one of the green zones, so I'm fine. Mm -hmm. 
You know, we, we don't want that. Like there, these kinds, this kind of stuff can infiltrate anywhere. And so we have to focus on, you know, what's healthy and what's not and less, uh, and, and, and I think less about, um, is this particular denomination always okay or always mm. not? Cause it's, you, we all know you can have a great congregation in a typically problematic group yeah. yep. and you can have a horrendous and abusive uh church in a typically really safe um area so in general i think what we what we recommend people who read our book is there are certain denominations who actively preach things um on a on a systemic level that we have found damage women in particular we we do advise as an evidence-based approach to be really cautious if you're engaging in those spaces Mm -hmm. um but that doesn't mean that the rest are an automatic green flag this is about, uh, you know, as we're, we're told to continuously work out our salvation with fear and trembling. We don't just rest on our laurels and not have to think anymore. Yeah. Right. We're inviting people to be able to think about this critically. Um, so. I I have a reflection question um, and just kind of channeling some of the audience, because this book and this conversation has obviously got a, a Christian audience and focus. Uh, so loosely tied to your book, but I think it's channeling the audience would they would listen or be listening to this is obviously we know this is experiences of mainly Christian women growing up and through the purity culture and can, things like that. For clarity speaking, what would you have to say about um, if you're speaking to somebody from the extreme opposite end, somebody that's, you know, because obviously well, let's be real. There's over sexualization of children right now, unfortunately, in culture. Mm-hmm. Um, so speaking to that part of the audience that, um, yeah, we shouldn't be sexualizing um, and having some of these conversations with children in general. And so how could you speak to uh, that type of audience being like, yes, we're Christian. We're trying to figure out a better way path forward for us Christian, but pointing people that aren't Christian that, hey, you know, still going to church is actually a good thing. And um, just as Christian women, what would your advice be to to that? I think throughout history and throughout cultures, women have largely been sexualized. Mm-hmm. you know, or objectified. Objectified is a yeah. good word where, yeah. where you see women in terms of their body parts and in terms of something that men can use rather than as whole people who exist because they're precious and they have something to offer. Um, and our culture certainly has hypersexualized girls in so many different ways. And we, we want to get away from that because we want to see women as having value beyond their bodies Um, and also we want to see sex as something which is sacred, which is intimate, which isn't just transactional, which isn't just something that you can, you know, give in order to get, uh, so it is something that is very sacred. I think our approach though, and what we're Mm -hmm. trying to do in our book is do more what Jesus did, which is if, when you read the gospels, Jesus wasn't really railing against the Romans. He really didn't say a whole lot about the Romans. No. You know, mm-hmm. now, does that mean he liked the Romans? No, I don't think he did. I think he was quite upset about the Romans, but he came to address his own people. Mm-hmm. And so he was constantly calling out the teachers of the law and the people who were not acting with justice and who were not treating people well. And so that's what we're trying to do. I found 
lately, especially um, in evangelicalism, that we are so focused on calling out what the world is doing badly. Mm-hmm. And we're missing the fact that we are actually hurting our people too, when we share these toxic messages. And so we're just, we're trying to live out, you know, what Paul said, that we are to judge those within the church. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and we are to look and measure what the church is doing. Yeah. Great answer. Thank you. And about the people who are thinking about going to church like that, one of the things that I really want to emphasize, and I know I've emphasized this before, but it's so important, I think, is that we found that a lot of churches actively harmed people. But the average is still really good, which means there's a lot of churches that actively helped a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and if you're someone who's like listening to this kind of podcast, who's thinking about spirituality, who's thinking about like, I I feel like something's missing. I want it. My, 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 my advice is just be really picky. <laughs> you know, just be picky. Get the data before you go and 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 mm. make sure you're finding one of those really just life-giving communities because they are out there. Mm-hmm. And when you find them, it's life-changing because not only following Jesus, but following Jesus in community is just such a gift. It really mm. is. And so I I I hope that um I know in, in my personal experience, I have quite a few people in my life who are completely a-religious. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the knowledge that there are Christians out there who are trying to police our own, mm-hmm. where we're trying to do the work to make this a safe, Christ-like space is, is such an encouragement to a lot of people who are outside the church. And I hope that we can be encouraging to your listeners who are outside the church as well, because I know that, listen... The things a church has done wrong is not exactly a taboo topic anywhere. Okay. Mm-hmm. We all know. Um, and, and I, I just want everyone to know that we're taking it seriously guys, because yep. totally. that's what Christ calls us to do. Yeah. Yep. We Great go answers. after the lost one. Yeah. Right. Yeah. No, that's super encouraging. Great answers. I'm glad that my question made enough sense. I was trying to ask it. For... No, that's good. Joanna, any, any, I know they chimed in any uh, before my next question. Anything else? No, I think Rebecca said it really, really well. So did Sheila. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. There you go, the Sneko. I like it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, okay. Cool. So going, uh, building more off of your 2021 work with the in the Great Sex Rescue book, you describe how these teachings on purity prove as a marker of faith mm-hmm. um, that affect intimacy later in life. Uh, these teachings were meant to help future marriages, so the intentions were probably pretty good. But we'll be honest; uh, they ended up, uh, you know, having some damaging effects that were unforeseen and unknown by the pastors, kind of leading the charge on them. So, can you describe that a little bit more? You want me to jump in on this, guys? Okay. <laughs> um, you know, one of the biggest things that we taught is something that that goes like this. Sex is a beautiful gift from God, but it is meant to only be enjoyed in marriage. And so don't think about sex. Don't, you know, if you have sexual thoughts, you need to do something to get rid of them because this is not a gift to be awakened now. Mm -hmm. But remember when you marry someone, if they've also waited, you are going to have the most amazing (laughs) sex 
forever. Yeah. And so it is worth <laughs> waiting for because this is such an incredible gift. Praise God. And that was kind of the message that we were given. It was kind of like the sexual prosperity. For those who are gospel. listening, Rebecca's losing uh, her mind. Well, because <laughs> for me, it's like, don't think about sex, but it's going to be awesome. And don't yeah. think about how awesome it's going to be. Like, how am I not be supposed to so be thinking good. about this stuff? Yeah. It's yeah. Like- um, and we ended up setting, uh, first of all, causing a lot of shame. Because yeah. there isn't actually anything wrong with having sexual feelings. Our no. hormones give us sexual feelings. Like sexual feelings are normal things. Yeah. What's wrong is objectifying and using someone else. Mm-hmm. Um, and sex, yeah, sure. Sex belongs in its proper place. But that doesn't mean that you're not going to have sexual feelings. It doesn't mean you're not going to have crushes. You know, it doesn't mean, yeah, that you're not going to get turned on sometimes. And oh, yeah. so <laughs> we really we really made people feel embarrassed for what are basically physiological drives yeah. um, that God put in us. We also set up women. And here's, here's uh, I'll, I'll give you a little bit of a background uh, info on a disagreement that the three of us have. You want to hear it? Yeah, let's, okay. let's hear this. So when we were in her familial and friendship disagreements are the best. Yeah. I really, really, really wanted to run a stat that the other two were adamant that we weren't going to run. So (laughs) I wanted to know um, if vaginismus was worse, if you waited for marriage versus if you didn't, um, or if it was better or like, or if sex was better and they felt like, no, we don't want to look at whether sex is, is worse if you don't wait for marriage. Cause that's just adding more shame to purity culture and people yeah. can't do anything about it now. You know, if you're already married, it's not something you can fix if you had mm-hmm. sex in the past, mm-hmm. so they didn't right. want to run it. But then we thought about it some more. And so this is not in the great sex rescue, but it is in our follow-up books, the good guy's guide to great sex and the good girl's guide to great sex. Super mm-hmm. interesting. So here's what Joanna ran. She looked only at people, at women who had only ever had sex with their current husband. Okay. So only ever had sex with one person and then controlled for abuse. So we're not looking at people who had been sexually abused in any way and um, compared the people who had had sex before the marriage and the people who had waited for the wedding night. And guess what? Vaginismus, 25% more likely if you wait for the wedding. Hmm. I mean, I guess it makes sense. Does this mean that we're trying to argue that you should have sex before marriage? No, but it does mean that the things we are telling people about sex don't work on the honeymoon. Because if you have sex before you're married, it's probably, and you, and you weren't planning on it. You were planning on waiting, right? And then you have sex before you're married. It's probably because you were making out and you got carried away and you were seriously turned on, Mm -hmm. right? So you got, so your first time having sex, you were aroused. If you wait for the wedding night, it's a lot of pressure. You just went through the longest day of your life. You probably didn't sleep the night before no. you get to this hotel room and now you're supposed to get naked and do it <laughs> because this yeah. is the best gift God has ever given for you. And you get yeah. to unwrap it now and it will be awesome. And that's a lot mm-hmm. of pressure. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, one of our big asks is that we start talking about the honeymoon differently, that it's not just, this is a great gift. And if you wait, it's going to be the most amazing sex yeah. ever. So you now you can just count down how many days until the honeymoon, where you're going to have this amazing, great sex. And instead think about the marriage as the time when you start, you get to get to know each other in a whole new way. And so we're going to aim first for feeling comfortable together. Mm. And then we're going to aim for figuring out her arousal and her orgasm. Cause it's a lot harder than his. We have a 47 point (laughs) orgasm gap between men and women. It's hard for, it's a lot more convoluted for her. And then we'll aim for intercourse. And some people are going to figure that out in one night. And some people are going to take a couple of weeks or so. And that's okay. Because if you do it in that order, you don't have to repair later. 
Hmm. And there's a lot of people who have spent years trying to repair. Hmm. Yeah. The expectations got goofed up based on the messaging. Yeah, that's, <laughs> yeah. And that's very similar. And um, that's very similar from when my wife and I got married, um, sort of the messaging around it. And then, it, it, yeah, well, I mean, it, was, it wasn't bad, but it was, yeah, it's, it's, it's so interesting that like, yeah, we want to wait till marriage, but then we, like you said, we, we kind of not forget about, we just like, Hey, bury all those feelings that you have right now until the day of your marriage, when you can finally start letting all those feelings just fly. And then when they start flying, like they've always been flying. And so like, I I imagine they're like, they probably like might bottle them up a little bit when, like when they're fully known by somebody else, when they're fully bored or um, naked in front of somebody else. Um, It's yeah. It's a really, it's a really interesting kind of interplay of how how all this stuff works. So, so much expectation pressure weight on yeah. that one moment and if it does if it's not mind-blowing yeah. sex then Think there's of how a lot anybody of sh- ever a- does under heavy expectation it's almost never good and yeah. then we expect it to work on the night of your wedding quick little plug for our own podcast here if you are an individual and you want to help donate for this work you can go to our show notes to our patreon page as well as our spotify donations page if you want to make a recurring donations they're either 15 or 20 dollars a month or a single donation you can also do that as well those really help us on the back end to give to this work to keep up our website to make sure we can pay those who help with our editing with our software with our merchandising all, all those good things if you're a potential sponsor and you want to sponsor us and, and fill out one of our ads, you can email us at guiltgracepod at gmail.com and we can talk through some of the options that we have. And we would love to work with both individuals and publishers, institutions, seminaries, whoever it may be, as we all work towards our mission of bridging the gap to reform Christian theology. Yep. Help expand our work and be a bridge builder. There's well, a lot not of only shame, that, but you also that know that like Aunt Mary knows you're doing it. <laughs> that's, that's true, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Like it's like, goodness yeah. gracious, oh no, that's Uncle a... George. Yeah. Like everybody knows what's happening tonight. Everybody yeah. knows. Exactly. That's like, yeah. Yeah. What we say in the Grace Act Rescue is is um and what we talk about a little bit in She Deserves Better as well is what both boys and girls were really missing is sex education. Yeah. Oh yeah. Big time. Um with this kind of stuff. And and like we said for so long it's just wait until you get the wedding ring and then it'll be mm-hmm. mind-blowing right. but what makes sex mind-blowing is not a wedding ring what makes sex mind-blowing is arousal yeah and so if we stop talking about just it being a pass the finish line and we actually give give our, our our children even like actual sex education like what is the difference between like arousal and not being aroused what are the different mm-hmm. stages of it um mm-hmm. those kinds of things which can be really weird to talk to <laughs> yeah. kids about yeah. but you know what it also helps if you're if you're a teenage boy going yeah. through puberty and you start having feelings and all you've heard at church is don't Mm-hmm. It can be a really uh, freeing understanding that, hey, you weren't made a mistake. You weren't made a sex crazed monster. You're yeah. just a hormonal 14 year old boy. Yeah. And that's perfectly acceptable. Yeah. <laughs> and here's how we handle yeah. that in a way that's respectful and healthy. Yeah. Or I, th- I think one of the stories in your book was when, uh, oh, like you talked about a girl who, said no to somebody and then they kept on coming on and then finally they they had sex they finished the deal but she realized like oh maybe like i was a little aroused during that but like a kind of a physiological response to this stuff 
like is that my fault like I, I don't know what to do with these feelings maybe this was right maybe this was wrong but it like it does have to do with like they just weren't taught like no you like you have like you can say no and like they have to take that and that arousal is not is like your biological response to this but it's not you're saying yes to this thing um which people get intertangled people people mix up these signals absolutely oh sheila you're you're muted it's it's called arousal non-concordance, and we're absolutely adamant that that both boys and girls need to understand what this is because arousal non-concordance is when your brain and your body they're not aligned. So yeah. your body can be aroused while your brain is totally not wanting this. Yeah. Arousal does not mean that you consented. And a lot of people who've been sexually assaulted, both boys and girls, get really confused because they were aroused. Boys mm-hmm. especially, by the way, because, you know, for, for guys, you get an erection and the erection is often necessary for certain sexual acts to occur. And so mm-hmm. they think, I actually did this to myself. Like I caused this when they didn't. And so ha- having kids understand what arousal non-concordances can, can heal so much shame from assault. It's also so important around pornography, though. Mm-hmm. Um because kids need to realize that just because you know you're 11 years old someone shows you porn you get really turned on you don't understand and so because at the same time you're absolutely horrified so much of porn is violent or mm. quite awful mm. and so you're horrified by what you're seeing but you're turned on and so then you think i'm a freak i'm a freak mm. and i'm a terrible person and that shame can often drive you to look at porn more and more and so if we can have these conversations with our kids and we walk you through how to do mm. that and she deserves better yep. Yep. um to teach them what arousal non-concordance is it actually helps them fight porn as well and not get sucked in huh yeah no that's that's interesting so my 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 last my last question before for nicks and we've talked about this a little bit but i want to i want to really dig into this one because this was this was really big for my wife, and this is—I I heard this all over the place. Um, and you talked about modesty and, and clothes, especially by women, um, less so if ever existent for for guys. Um, and it's, it's once again, it's finding its way—it's finding its way back. We we know the the yoga pants story, but what what have <laughs> what have standards around clothing for for girls growing up? I mean, really taught them not just about modesty per se, but about their body first and foremost, but what their body is, how their body is created, who created it, how does this manifest itself throughout their lives? And particularly so when they grow up and marry and then show themselves to their husbands. Yeah. Okay. I, I can talk about this one. Do it. I like this one. What often happens is it's not, first of all, I do want to say it's not only the girls that it affects. It affects the boys in the area too. And because it affects the boys, that affects the girls. Mm. So here's what happens. You're a girl who's growing up in youth group and you are 12 years old and you have awkward breast buds and you had to get your first little training bra and you're going to start your period soon. And you're just horrified at the idea that I'm going to get a woman's body and I don't want to have a woman's body and what's happening to me. And then you start to hear from the people in your church. You start to have this high school teacher telling you, you really need to make sure that you're covering up now that you have, you're starting to develop. You're mm-hmm. starting to develop. So make sure you're wearing a higher neckline next time, sweetie. And you're sitting there at like 12 years old and you're thinking, oh, like your <laughs> head is just static of terror and panic. And then at the same time, you're growing up with all these boys in youth group who are now at 12, 13 being told everywhere you look, there are boobs. There are mm-hmm. boobs everywhere and everywhere you look, there'll be boobs and there'll be butts and don't look at the boobs and the butts and don't look at them. 
there are boobs. Don't look at them. Don't think about them. Don't think about anything other than the boobs and the butts all the time. And so then you <laughs> grow up and all of your male peers, a lot of them are actually hypersexualized. Because hmm. they've been trained to find boobs and butts everywhere to make sure they know where they shouldn't be looking. Mm-hmm. And so you're in this environment where your peripubescent body is seen as a threat to grown men. The boys your age also see your body either with w- even more uh, curiosity than they might otherwise, or they get angry about the fact that you haven't covered up enough. Mm-hmm. And all of this just can get in your head and start making you think I'm the problem. There's something wrong with me. I am deformed. I am defunct because I'm a woman. Mm-hmm. I know that for myself personally, and I've shared this on our podcast, the big thing for me was that I didn't really feel until I was quite a bit older that I was just allowed to enjoy femininity. Hmm. Like I always liked being in frilly dresses and stuff like that, but there was always this this level where, you know, the idea that I was someone who had a bigger hips, bigger thighs, small waist, I was very pear-shaped. And so every single modesty handout that I got, every single Brio magazine, all the Dana Gresh uh, books like Seeker Keeper Girl, I couldn't do any of the modesty tests because my legs were so curvy. Hmm. And like objectively looking back, it's like, oh, yeah, you're just a teenager who's developing. Like you looked fine. But I thought I was huge. I thought there was Hmm. something wrong with me. I felt like a freak because I had a woman's body. Hmm. Because we were taught as girls that unless your clothes hang off of you, you're drawing attention to yourself. But clothes only hang off of like one or two body types. <laughs> they don't, or else you have to be in like men's XXXLTs and sure. like yeah. massive basketball shorts, right? And so for a lot of us girls, we're in this culture where not only have we been told to cover up, all the boys around us have also been told that we should be covering up. And so they notice things even more. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Everyone is normalized to be hyper fixated on your body and if it's good enough. And you know that everyone around you is looking to see if your skirt is too mm-hmm. short, even if they actually are or not. You've been told they are. Mm-hmm. So in your head, it's even more than the normal like teenage girl feeling of everyone's looking at me. Everyone can see my zit. It's like, oh, my gosh, who's trying to check out my butt? Who's in their 60s today? Mm-hmm. It just adds a whole other layer. And it creates this culture where it's just not safe to enjoy having a woman's body. Even if you're not trying to be immodest, you're just trying to wear nice clothes that accent your figure. You can't even just have a figure. Mm -hmm. And I think for a lot of girls, it creates such intense self-esteem confusion and really low self-esteem. And then the idea that you're supposed to just flip that and then have someone enjoy your body We've heard from so many women mm. for whom that flip just that switch did not flip. Yeah. It's that almost expected just to flip. flip on your marriage day. And you're like, how is that just going to flip on my marriage day? You're supposed to yeah. go from Laura Ingalls to Jessica Rabbit in like 24 hours. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Without any preparation, all that you've ever been told yeah. of is to cover up. But now when you're on your wedding day, like let it all loose. And you're like, but how? I don't like, how am I supposed to do this stuff? Yeah, and we've heard from women who said that one of the big things that they that they uh, one of the things that they find kind of funny, it's fun to laugh about a little bit, but it also was really awkward at the beginning. Is they just like I didn't know how to feel sexy. Hmm. Like when you spend your whole life trying to be like I am, right. 
I am not a sexual person. I am not sexual. I don't think these things. I, I distract myself. I don't do all these things. And you yeah. suppress that part of yourself. And then you're married and everything feels even more awkward than it would. Because you're not used to feeling aroused. Mm-hmm. You're not used to. And so we go from zero to 100. <laughs> not even used to. You're told not to feel aroused. Don't yeah. do this stuff. That's exactly it. And so the girls who successfully actually did the stuff that, that they were taught to do ended up getting married and being like, I feel like I have to put on a persona in order no. to have sex with my husband. I can't have sex with my husband as me because I'm not sexual. Hmm. So I have to put on a persona and they don't like that because right. they want to be intimate and it's not yeah. intimate if it's not you. It's not I imagine everybody who's listening to right now is like, hey, man, that is exactly what I'm thinking when I'm having sex where I'm thinking about it or whatever it is or like that's exactly like I couldn't put into words but that's exactly what I think yeah 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 you're shouldn't be expected to be a perfect you know perfect before marriage and then perfect after where you're like like I don't even know who the people here are saying I heard Jessica Rabbit I know who that is but yeah. you're not <laughs> yeah. supposed to be like yep. this perfect nun before you're married yeah. And then all of a sudden a light switch goes off the second you're married and all of a sudden you're like the most sexy uh, Jessica rabbit to your husband ever. And you know how to do that perfectly. And you get just as much. And then the guy, like you said, the guys kind of expect that. I was like, why aren't you doing this stuff? Why aren't you doing that stuff? I was like, I was never taught how to do this stuff. And I was told never to do this stuff. And then you spiral down from there. So, uh, one more funny, yeah, not funny, please. but like one more interesting side yeah. effect of this mm-hmm. is since we're told that that this experience of lust and sexual arousal and all this stuff is so gender binary, where it's like men are like this, women are like this. Yeah. What often happens also is these women get married and they're like, oh, my gosh, he's going to want to go at it all the time because now (laughs) i can walk around the house in like just a bra if i want to and and i am going to have complete like this man is going to be absolutely losing his mind oh yeah all the time and then they get married and they find out that like dudes are kind of chill like (laughs) it's it's, yeah it's not like and they think am i not hot enough yeah and they think is there something wrong with me yeah. Is this not, a, is this not I'm enough? Not, because I'm like not making him happy single... enough. Yeah. yeah. I'll, I'll and be it's honest. Like this, that this like, man... that was, that was my wife and I for the first like five or six years. That yeah. was, and it's like constant, us. you have constant reassurance because you've been told as a woman that even the sight of your knee can <laughs> yeah. cause a dude to yeah. lose his mind. Yeah. And so now this guy is watching it get changed in the morning and he's just also getting changed. Yep. What's the matter? Yeah. And outside of and and being married because you're you're living together 24 seven and most of the time you're not having sex, obviously. So it's like, (laughs) why isn't this person happy all the time? Like you're you're doing something wrong. So, uh, yeah, or like you said, like my wife, my wife is my wife doesn't listen to the show, so I can say this. Um, But yeah, she'll yeah, she will say that exact same stuff where like, am I not doing enough for you? Am I not getting it right? Like, do you want this? Do you want that? And like at some point I was like, I'm, I'm just not like, I'm not, I'm not there right now. And she's like, well, what do like, what do I have to do to get you there? Or like, how often do I have to do it to get you there? And that was, it was a big wake up call. And especially, I mean, reading this book and some other stuff was a wake up call to like, yeah, that's um, you just, I don't know how to, like, you just kind of get used to it. Like you get used to somebody being naked in front of you. And it's, it's uh, like the more exposure you get to it, it's like, it, it's, it's kind of, it's kind of normal. And it's not what you're told when you're a kid. It's like, it'll always be this way, no matter what. And when you're growing up, it's like, well, it's really not that way. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You're exactly right. Men are not insatiable 
sexual beasts. True. <laughs> 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 Expectations have been. Yeah. Uh, They're yeah. just kind of dudes. As much as sometimes yeah. we want to be, we're not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You can't do it all the time. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, something before my last question, something, um, Sheila, that you mentioned, and I think it kind of connects to what Rebecca was saying, too. And Joanna, please jump in if you, <laughs> if you ever want to. Um, you got to ask more that, studies and statistics questions for her. Yeah, yeah. I'll uh, just keep calling her the the female Nate Silver. That's just, there we so go. That'll, that'll make a day. Sheila, so, something you mentioned earlier, uh, it's not part of my last question, but um, you, you were talking about, I found really interesting that connecting the body and the brain thing. Um, I think, you know, I think that something... Uh, that's been really awful to culture is obviously porn and porn has done such bad things both to men and women obviously but um i don't know if you have any response to this but i, I th- obviously porn rewires the brain and it confuses a lot of reality of what's really going on sex is meant to be in person with your spouse right not watching some stranger um, and so there's a lot that's it's, it's porn rewires the brain, whether you're male or female, it objectifies women. Um, and men it's, too. Un, it's unrealistic and sinful on all fronts. It is a drug and it is evil. I don't know if you have any, I don't know if I spoke a little too bold on anything, but do you, do you have any response on the, on that part? Cause that is so prevalent right now. And I think in the men's circles, um, uh, trying to <clears throat> talk about um well i think in uh, men's circles porn. they miss like you were talking about they mixed they miss the sexual drive that men have and women have as well where like we want to view porn because we have the drive to have sex at some points but then yeah we're misplacing it or we're we're, we're seeing something we're just dis- we're displacing the physical from a spirit from a um a uh virtual thing it's yeah, lust so. and committing adultery yeah. Yeah. And I think the other thing about pornography, which I always have to um, mention whenever we talk about it, is that yeah. it's also the largest driver of sex trafficking and human trafficking yeah. in the world. Yeah. Um, and those are real people getting abused. And yeah. so when you are watching porn, um, even the even the so-called consensual porn, when they've done studies on it, the vast majority of the women in it were sexually abused um, mm. as children. And so how much of it is a trauma response? So, you mm. know, how consensual is that really? So you're, you're watching someone under coercion. Yeah. Mm-hmm in porn and that matters it's just a justice issue what concerns mm-hmm. me especially is that if you look at the way pornography paints sex and you look at the way the church has painted sex there's often virtually no difference yeah so pornography says that um women exist to give men pleasure and and the reason that men watch porn um well there's many reasons but 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 one of the dynamics around it is um he doesn't have to try he mm-hmm. doesn't have to do anything to get her interested. It's just easy. She's there to satisfy him. And so she exists to satisfy him. And it's not about a relationship. It's just about her body. Mm-hmm. When we um, treat women in the same way. So when we start spreading messages like a woman's obligated to give her husband sex when he wants it. So she exists to give him sexual pleasure instead of seeing sex as an expression of who we are together. And this is something that we are doing together. Instead, sex is seen as an object that she gives and he takes. And that's a very different thing from the way the Bible portrays Mm -hmm. what sex should be. 
And so we depersonalize her and we do depersonalize sex. Um, and we make it only into a drive, something which he is entitled to. So we've largely turned sex into a female obligation and a male entitlement. Mm-hmm. And that is really scary. And even the way we treat lust, like a lot of the um, the so-called fixes for lust, they still see women as objects. Mm-hmm. Like the idea that you're supposed to bounce your eyes from her. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're not supposed to look at her. Um, the Everyman's Battle books say when you go into an office building, immediately look away because receptionists bend over a lot. Mm-hmm. And so you don't want to look at a receptionist because she might bend over. So you're going to look away. It is literally telling men they cannot look at women. And we we interviewed so many women who said, I will get on an elevator with a pastor and he will turn away and pretend I'm not there. Mm-hmm. The longest recorded conversation we have of Jesus is with the Samaritan woman. I was about to say that's John mm-hmm. four. Yeah. One to one by the well. Mm-hmm. Yep. And his disciples look at him and was like, what are you doing talking to a woman? It's mm-hmm. like, I know exactly what I'm doing. She's about to evangelize the city of Samaria. And he revealed who he was for the first time to her. Yes, exactly. She was the first person to whom he Mm -hmm. he explicitly said that he was the Messiah. So here is the longest conversation he had because he treated her like a person. And the way that we both commit lust in the church and try not to commit lust in the church, both of those things still see women as objects. We're either something to use or we're something to avoid. Mm-hmm. because yeah. we're dangerous and mm-hmm. jesus is calling us to see each other as brothers and sisters in christ mm-hmm. and not just as sexual objects yeah mm-hmm. totally that's good because that's why i said uh it's it's so sinful on all fronts porn because mm-hmm. what you were saying even the industry itself is so destructive and yeah. evil with child trafficking <clears throat> and all that and not alone what was happening in our own hearts with all the other sexual stuff. Um, yeah. But it is interesting, like how you said that the church has in ways talked and thought about sex in not dissimilar ways than the porn industry has. And so right. when guys go to porn, they're like, yeah, this kind of makes sense from what I've heard. They may not think this obviously, but it's like, yeah, I, I kind of, I kind of see this a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for addressing that by the way. So that was, um, we're getting really uh, real on this conversation. I mean, oh, yeah, totally. One, once we're talking about it, it's like, okay, let's talk about it, all this stuff. Um, so my last question is, uh, at the end of each chapter, you provide a section for moms and their daughters. Mm-hmm. What are you hoping these sections do for those who read your book? In general, after reading the book, how do they practically kind of go from there and carry on with their life and grow in their day-to-day life from your book. Somebody you else want to talk to this one, Joanna? <laughs> sure, I, I can do it. I think so, this is a I, Joanna question. Yeah. Sure. Um, so the mother-daughter sections are really where the, the rubber meets the road. So we have a whole yeah. quest, a whole chapter, for example, on boundaries. And then we were talking about, we do a lot of the planning for our books on walks. And so we were walking and talking or we were on FaceTime. We were saying, you know, part of the challenge is that we want them, the moms and daughters who are reading this book or youth leaders and, and girls and youth group, whatever adult and um, you know child is doing this to be able to actually apply it in their daily life so that they can think about, okay, in a hypothetical situation, what would I do? What would be uh, an appropriate boundary? How would I enforce a boundary? If I needed to get my mom's help, how would I go about doing that? 
And so giving families just the opportunity to work through it in a practical way so that they can start saying, okay, um, if something happens, what's the safe word? If mom, I know uh, Sheila and Rebecca had a special way that uh, Sheila, or that Rebecca and her sister Katie could address Sheila so that that was like a code. So we always, Sheila- if we called her mother, if we called her mother, that was always <laughs> a bad thing because we never said mother. It was only ever mummy. So. Yep. Yep. Mm. Yeah. And so we just want folks to be able to apply these. We also know that these are difficult conversations to have yep. with our kids. And so we wanted to make sure that parents have some tools so that it doesn't feel quite so daunting so that the, the barrier to having the conversation isn't so high. Because hmm. I know it's easy to say, I'm going to do that conversation later. I'm going to feel more prepared in a week or two weeks. Or, and it's easy for those things to get away from us and to slip, those opportunities to slip through our fingers as parents. So we just wanted to make that barrier to entry as low as possible so that it's a really easy and and hopefully enjoyable and and low stress way to to have some meaningful conversations with your with your kiddo. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one yeah. of my favorite ones that we did was on the modesty chapter mm-hmm. because you know we were adamant that you just simply cannot match the modesty message with the boy's lust message. As soon as you combine them, terrible 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 things happen. But yep. then parents say, "Okay, but like I do want my girl to have standards. Like aren't there <laughs> standards for it? and and so yes, there are. There are biblical principles principles that we can look at that don't mm-hmm. have to do with not causing lust, but have to do with, "Hey, how can we be appropriate?" How can we dress in a way that's respectful and kind? And so we walk mm-hmm. you through you know, how to do that because a lot of parents are like, I don't know. And so let us give you, let us start those conversations in a way that is healthy and that steers you towards a healthy resolution with your, with your daughter. Hmm. Yeah. Rebecca, you want to have anything else to add to that? Uh, I will say we've had a couple people read the book, have the conversations. And then like two weeks later, like a big thing happened at school and their daughters knew exactly what to do. Oh, and nice. that's been really cool to hear about. Yeah. Like just girls Good. drawing boundaries, be like, no, actually, I don't feel These safe. So I'm not going to go yeah. like, pr- like people pleasers learning how to stand up for themselves. Uh, that's awesome. Yeah. That's a, that's a, that's a great way to to end this. Um, and I think yeah, I, I knew coming into this would be a longer one just because the topic and having three people, uh, well, I think it's I think it's necessary to to really dig deep into this stuff, and I would really really encourage. I'm not a girl. I'm not a mom. I I never will be either of them. But uh, like, I, it helped me at least for women in my church, or for girls in the church, or for moms in the church. Like, hey, I think I have this resource. I think you guys can look into, and and it'd be really helpful. And that's something we're gonna do at our church for sure. Um, but and it helps for, you understand your wife more too. This which is I thought oh was my really gosh, that is, that is true. Yeah, yeah that's. Uh, as a, I, I could, if my wife were here, I mean, she wouldn't want to do this on, on air, but if, <laughs> if, if my wife were here, I, I texted her so many pictures during reading this book. And I was like, did you go through this? Did you go through this? Like, what about this? What about, and she's like, yes, to every single one of them. <laughs> it was, it was cool to see. Um, yeah, this is like, this happened to her. I was like, yeah, I was like, I'm, it's like, I'm surprised her by saying that or like, that's, that's exactly what I went through. She's Hispanic. And so like some of these things were on steroids. When like in her quinceanera, which is like she was literally given to Jesus as as the husband as a wife to the husband um, with a purity ring, um, so she has stories beyond this. But it was cool to see this, yeah, played out in real life and and her life and and how yeah how she how she has dealt with it and kind of the resources she's had after that. How we dealt with our marriage um, to see this like really like really actually truly in real time like that is exactly what we went through. That is exactly what my wife thought. And it gave me more 
um, I don't know if empathy is the right word, but like I, I kind of understood her better. It's when when she's talking about this, like, I, I can see why she's saying the stuff that she's saying and why the, like the things that I do, why I do them. Um, so if you I want to end this by talking about bare marriage and your guys' podcast, the work that you guys do, um, maybe if you just like kind of give a elevator pitch, like what, what do you like? What's bare marriage exist to, uh, to do? Mm-hmm. What's your work, Sheila, exists to do? And like, how how does all this stuff kind of wrap in together? Yeah, so we're all about healthy, evidence-based biblical advice for your sex life and your marriage and your parenting. And uh, so at baremarriage.com, I blog pretty much most days um, and focusing again on, yeah, how the church is seeing sex, how how we can move towards emotional health and emotionally healthy relationships. Our podcast is out every Thursday, the Bare Marriage Podcast. It's super fun. Um, my Rebecca's often on it. My husband, Keith, is often on it. We have amazing nice. guests too, yep. so... Yeah, that's really great. And then if you head to baremarriage.com, our courses are there, how to talk to your kids about puberty and sex. The whole story is there. Um, Our orgasm and libido courses. And of course, links to all our books, including She Deserves Better and The Great Sex Rescue. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Well, cool. Well, thank you guys so much for coming on this, for talking about this. Uh, I know evangelicals can get sheepish around sex and can get sheepish around all this stuff. And I, it was refreshing to be honest, to, to just talk about it without kind of stigmas and taboos, but just to, just to talk about it and to encourage that more real conversations around this and get our girls and our boys prepared for the life they're about to live. Um, so thank you guys so much. Thank Thank you you so much for having us on. Thank you. Hey, I hope you enjoyed this week's book club episode where we spotlight a specific book from a publisher and an author that both Nick and I really enjoy. We don't always agree with everything that the author uh, or the book comes about, but what they do share with us is love for Christ and his gospel from whatever tradition they come from, whatever creedal tradition they come from or confessional tradition. uh, We all do share the same broader ecumenical Christian faith from different backgrounds, ethnicities, and, and denominations. Uh, we, we hope that these introduce books that you might not have heard of before, authors that you might not have heard of before. Um, I've been uh, really helped by learning about some of these. If you want to go to our show notes, find a link to the publisher. That helps them out a ton. A link to the author's page, to the book, to purchase it from the publisher themselves. It really helps them um, expose their work uh, through the publisher themselves. Yeah, and the value that we're bringing with these book clubs is you guys can really rely on us because as we all know, it takes a lot of time and effort to stay on top of all the books that are coming out and know which ones are probably good to look into, be recommended to read, look out for. And so these uh, these episodes are to whet your palate. You can We have already know that we're going to recommend this book, but you can um, listen to the episode yourself, get a little more understanding of the book and the author, and then go from there. Yeah. So if you want to find these books and uh, and purchase one for yourself, purchase one for friends or family, and also too, if you can find us on Apple, Spotify, any podcast catcher, rate and review us. That's that's how we're that's how we're best known. It's how we kind of make ourselves known. Uh, introduce these to a friend and and maybe just build your bookcase, build your reading, uh, read broader and and read really well, all under the umbrella of our creedal faith under Jesus Christ.